Um, so I think there was a mistake. I made a mistake, right? So um, when I, you know, I, I sent an email to the welcome, no, the worship team about my text this morning, and it was my intent to preach on this. But yesterday, I, as I was preparing, I was like all day the sermon. I realized I want to talk about this, maybe most of this next week, right? Um, I, today, I want to address the two verses that are uh, above this. So if you can, at home and at, or here, if you can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, same chapter, but let's read verses 12 and 13, because that's what we're going to focus on today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 13. We're going to talk about 14 to 31 next week but we're going to focus on 12 to 13 today. Has everyone found it? Oh, look at you guys. You guys are so fast in finding your Bible. So proud of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Amen. So these two verses will be the focal point of, of the sermon this morning. So we are continuing our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as Pastor Eugene and I have continually reminded you in the previous weeks, 1 Corinthians 12 is part of a series of letters, series of, 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 of letters in first, series of chapters in 1 Corinthians, where Paul is instructing the Corinthian church about worship and specifically about the Christian life in the church. And the reason why Paul is devoting four chapters of his letter to the issue of worship and Christian church life is because there was severe disorder in the life of the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a big church, and it was, it was perhaps one of the most diverse churches. Uh, in the, when in, in, perhaps it was one of the most diverse churches in the early church. It was filled with, it was composed, comprised of people with so many backgrounds, right? Um, there were successful businessmen, and there were slaves, there were Jews, there were Greeks, there were educated, there were uneducated. It was a hodgepodge of diversity. Different cultures, different races, different socioeconomic class. So not only were they diverse in background, they were diverse in spiritual gifts, which Pastor Ujin so eloquently described last week. Some folks had a gift of tongues, I don't know what the gift of tongue is for today, but some people had it. Some people had a gift of prophecy. Some people had a gift of teaching. Some people had a gift of healing people. There were, well, these diverse people had diverse gifts. But the problem with diverse people with diverse gifts is this. Unless you're grounded on the solid singular truth, if their eyes are, if, we, if, they, if, if, if people with diverse gifts and diverse talents and diverse backgrounds, if they are not united with a single truth, if they lose sight of the single truth, 
oftentimes this diversity leads to division. And that is what is happening in the Corinthian church. God has blessed this church like crazy. I mean, don't you want to be part of that church? Don't you want to be part of the church where, you know, like miracles happen every week, right? Where people get healed every week. I want to be part of that church, right? I have a bad, bad, like, you know, back right now. I want to be healed of that. Like, don't you want to be part of the church where, like, oh, when you go, you feel the presence of God because there are, like, tremendously gifted people leading worship. But the problem was this. It was chaos. There was infighting. So, it's, so, side note, it's one thing. The Christian maturity and giftedness, they don't necessarily go hand to hand. You can be a crazy gifted person in ministry and yet have a maturity of a baby. And if you are a gifted person with the maturity of a baby, you will be a problem to the church and not an asset. I know so many of us, when we think of our place in the church, we normally think of like my, how my gifts can contribute to the church. More important than your service contributing to the church. Or maybe not Joe, because we need Joe every week, right? Maybe more than your service to the church, your maturity is the asset to the church. You don't have to be the best singer. You don't even have to be the best preacher. You don't even have to be the best of anything. But to be the asset, you need maturity. How do you define Christian maturity? It's simple. How much are you aware of the power of the gospel in your life. That's how you define it. Wisdom comes from your understanding of the gospel. Your patience comes from the understanding of the gospel. Your willingness to love other people comes from your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you mature? The Corinthian Christians were crazy gifted but they were babies. That's why they were fighting. And in chapter 12, Paul is, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, Paul is saying, Paul is teaching them how utterly inappropriate it is for Christians to be divided, for Christians to be infighting. Why? Because infighting and division it is the exact antithesis of what the gospel is. It is inappropriate to fight in the church. I mean, not, okay, you can fight, but un, not forgive in the church. It is inappropriate to be divided and continue to be divided in the church because that division is clearly 180 degrees different from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, 27, Pastor Wujin talked about this two weeks ago and last week, it says, whoever takes the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of guilty body of the blood of the Lord. What does that mean? He's saying, when you come to the Lord's Supper, to communion, and if you're taking it in an unworthy manner, you are insulting Christ's 
Christ's broken body and spilled blood. Once again, he's saying, if you come to celebrate the Lord's table, partake, partake in the bread and the wine, and yet you are doing it in an unworthy manner, then you are insulting the broken body of Christ and the spilled blood of Christ. You are offending the gospel. What is Paul's definition of an unworthy manner? Not caring for the poor and the sick in the congregation? And having unforgiveness and fighting? So if you come to the Lord's table with ill intent towards your brothers and sisters in the church, you are making a mockery of Christ's work. Because division is the anti-gospel. God, Jesus Christ has come to die and to be born, born, raised again so that we will be reconciled unto God. If people who claim to be reconciled unto God cannot reconcile amongst yourselves, what truth is that? First John, and first John is clear. First John chapter 2. If you say you love God but hate your brother, you have no idea who God is. That's what John is saying. James chapter 2. If you say you have faith and don't care of the people in your church, then your faith is not real. It's fiction. How we treat each other is very important. It, it reflects whether we understand the gospel or not. That's Paul's point in chapter 12. You see, division among human beings, it is, the, it, is, it is the most clear evidence of our rebellion against God. This division we have in the church, the division that you have in your families, the division that you have with your friends, this division in the world is one of the clear evidence the fruit of our rebellion against God. Right, I'm going to get a little bit like theological and philosoph philosophical on this, so I need a drink of water. All right, let's focus, right? This is it's going to be kind of a little bit heady stuff, right? Here we go. Right? Don't fall asleep. Pay attention. When God created the world, right, everything, like, I said, like we said, like we talked about, was, it's orderly. Everything at was the way it ought to be. Everything orbited around God. Everything in creation was aware of God, including men and women. Men and women, Adam and Eve, in the, in the first parts of creation, they were aware that the secret to life, the secret to love, the secret to, to, to glory, to beauty, it didn't come from within them. It came from God. They were clearly aware that truth, beauty, right? Um, like glory belonged to God. So they looked, they were aware of the presence of God and they lived in accordance to that, to, that, to that awareness. Men and women relationship, Adam and Eve's relationship was perfect, right? Perfect head, perfect, perfect helper, like, you know, that kind of relationship worked. It was like dynamic, beautiful relationship because both were aware that life belonged to God and they belonged to God. So they looked to God for love, for wisdom, for the meaning of life, right? 
they look to God. When they look to God and they look, them, look at themselves, it worked. It is the way it ought to be. But the temptate, but this, but the, but the Satan, but Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and their temptation, and they fell for that temptation, right? And the, and the nucleus of the temptation was this: You don't need God. You can make your own decisions. That's what Satan says in a nutshell. You don't need God. You have the ability to think what, determine what is right and wrong. Therefore, go your own way. That's the nucleus of rebellion, and that's the nucleus of all sin, sinners and all unbelievers. When men and women bought, bought that and said, yeah, God, I don't need you. I'm not going to recognize you. I don't need you. The first thing that happened was division between man and woman. Women came, women came from man. right? She, the, the source of her life was through man. But once they rebelled against God, the, that intimate relationship, that conjoined relationship became separated. What happened after they rebelled? Number one, they hid, hid from God. Number two, they became aware of their nakedness and they were shameful. What does that mean to be aware of their nakedness and they were shameful? Rather than looking out to God, they started to look in. Before the sin, their life was fruitful. Their life was awesome because they had the ability to look out and say, God is my life. But the moment they rebelled, they stopped looking out. They start looking in. Their perception became very narrow. And they become aware of their desires, what they want. That's why men and women separated. And what, what was the third thing that happened? Not only was the intimate separated, not only because they were just now made, like, trapped in their own perception of things, they started blaming one another, specifically Adam. What did Adam say to God? When God said, who did this, what did Adam say? Adam, from Adam, and all the men from there out, they said what? It is the woman's fault. The woman that you put in the garden with me, she's the one who did it. You see what's happening? They stop looking out. They start looking in. And when they start becoming more aware of their desires, they become bitter towards the other person. What happened to their children? Their children, brothers, Cain and Abel. The older brother killed the younger brother because the older brother was jealous of the younger brother. Once again, they, they were, he was kind of aware who God was, but more important than who God was, his feelings of envy and jealousy became more important. So he killed his brother. You see what happens when you turn your back to God, when you only start noticing your desires, your thoughts, your feelings, divisions naturally happen. And from then on, the history of the world is written in blood by the division of men and women. People killing others because, for the sake of their riches, for the sake of their ideology, for the sake of their glory, for the sake of their feelings. People kill each other. People are divided and they conquer each other and they kill each other. 
It's not world history, just not just world history. Divisions occupy every inch of our existence right now, does it not? There is division in your family, is there not? Is there a division between husband and wife right now? Is there in your, in your, is it? More times than not, there is division between husband and wife as we live in marriage life. There is division in the church. People just don't tell me there is, but I'm pretty sure there's division in the church right now. There's div- Turn on your TV. Go to YouTube. All you hear is how divided this country is. There is no inch of our existence where divisions do not happen. And it makes our life, this world, unbearably painful. You don't have to look far to see evidence of sin and rebellion. Look in your relationship. I counsel people, right? I, I'm, I'm the moderator. Sometimes I feel like my job is a moderator between like husband and wife or between this church member and that church member. And one of the best compliments one of the church members have ever said to me was, he, they, said, he, they said, I'm very fair. And I go, yeah. I'm fair because when people have conflicts, I, li- I go to this person and I listen to this person's point of view, right? And this person understands that I understand that person's point of view. And when I go to the other person that person had a problem with, and I listen to their point of view, they express their opinions, and they appreciate me because they think I understand their perspective. So this person thinks I'm on that person's side, and this person thinks I'm that person's side. I'm that good, right? But the reason why I could empathize with both parties is because I understand that both parties think what they think is the absolute truth. It's weird. If you go to this person, this person thinks what they see, how they think is the truth, is right. And if I go to the person that they disagree with, that person thinks what they think is absolutely right. I see this all the time. Division in the church, division in the family, much pain, much sorrow. Because we don't have God, our focus becomes very narrow. And we can't look beyond our narrow perception of things. Seven billion people in the world have their own perception of things. How can can we possibly be, be, be united if seven billion of us think that we're all right? That is why Paul says, if you are divided in the church, if you are arguing within the church and unforgiving, then you're reflecting more of the fruit of unbelief than the fruit of salvation. Because when Jesus Christ saves us, he reconciles us to God 
and by being reconciled unto, when we are reconciled unto God, our perception becomes widened again when we, and we begin to see God. And when we begin to see God, we start to reconcile with other people. Sin separates us. Salvation unites us. That is why Paul is saying it is very inappropriate for, for self-proclaimed Christians to live a divided life. Let's look at the, let's, I mean, we're going to talk about this more about next week, but let's talk about the reason in verse 12. What is Paul addressing in verse 12? Verse 12, Paul is, Paul is addressing one of the main divisions of the church is that, some, is that one people, one, like there's one group of people who were like, they and these people thought they were the ears and feet of the church. Right, what that, what that means. Verses 14 to 20 is about people who thought they were the ears and feet of the church. Ears and feet is a, is a, is a symbolism of thinking that they, don't, they didn't think their spiritual gifts mattered that much. Right? Rather than the hands and rather than the eyes, which are more, which are more prominent spiritual, public, prominently public spiritual gifts, these people who thought they were the ears and feet didn't think they were very special. So they were resentful of people who had these spiritual gifts. They were resenting against God because they thought, why couldn't God give me that kind of follow? Why? I think Pastor Wood talked about this, about his personal experience. He, when he was younger, he says, why can't I have that gift of miracle, gift of healing? These people are thinking, why couldn't I have a more prominent gift? So they were resenting. That's what verses 14 to 20 is about. Verses 21 to 27 is about people. Right? Who were the weak, who were the what was who, who who are the weak, who are the less honorable, right? And unpresentable. The weak, uh, the the less honorable, the the like uh, the unpresentable, these are the people who are of low socioeconomic status. These people thought in the church, these were the slaves, these were the people who didn't have much. They started resenting the people who had a lot, the powerful, rich people of Corinth. So there was division in the church because there was resentment in the church. Paul's advice, and we're going to talk about this next week, he says, snap out of it. The reason why these people resented each other, specifically in chapter 12, it's because they had a very narrow view of their gifts and their place in the church. These people have a very narrow view of, of they think, they thought, in order for me to be part of this church, I need to be more important. And because they had that narrow view of, of their position in the church, they started to resent God and resent other people in the church. The prescription against such thinking Paul is saying, you need to have God's perspective of who you are. Not your perspective of who you are. What matters is to know God's perspective of where you are. That's the way you keep the unity in the church, by having a God perspective. Salvation is all about God giving us his perspective. Let's talk about it. Let's go to verse 12. 
Verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul is giving us an illustration. Paul is giving us an illustration. He's saying the body of Christ is like the human body. There's only one body. There's only one PJ. PJ has many different members to my body. PJ has the fingers. PJ has the eyes. PJ has the feet. PJ has legs. Who is this PJ person? Sounds very healthy. But even though I have different members of the body, all the body comprised of just one PJ, right? Paul, in verse 12, is saying, if you are a Christian, you are not a loner. You don't exist alone in a vacuum. When you are a Christian, you are part of the one body of Christ. The body of Christ in this world, the presence of Christ in this world, there's only one body, one presence of Christ, and you are a member of that body. You are not alone. When Christ saves you, he, he, he makes you a part of the body. It doesn't, he, he doesn't save you and not make you a part of the body. When he saves you, by the nature of the fact that he saves you, he connects you to the other members of the body. And that's a very important theology to Paul. In Paul's mind, there is no notion of the modern notion. In the modern notion, my faith is a personal one. It's Jesus and me, and that's it. You know that modern notion, what matters is me and Jesus, and that's it. Paul says, that is false, false theology. That's not true. If you truly belong to Christ, you, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, you are part of his body. There is no one whom he saves and he doesn't make a part of the body. No. When you are saved, you are the body of Christ. And the person that you're fighting against, he's also a body of Christ. Paul is saying division doesn't make sense because the reality is that you guys aren't separate anymore. You guys are all connected in Christ. And if you're fighting with someone in the body, you're fighting against Christ. I know sometimes we have this opinion against someone. Right? And, 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 just, and we look at that person in the church as if, you know, that person just, is just an alone vacuum. That person just vacuums alone. Like, it's alone and we have no problem just hating that one person. But Paul is rebuking that. He's saying, no, 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 no. Be clear-minded here. When you are insulting a person in the body, you're insulting Christ because that person is also the member of that body. When we treat each other, when we look at each other, we need to have this kind of mindset. Be very careful in how you treat brothers and sisters in the church. Because they're all members of the body of Christ. They're all people whom Christ has died for, purchased with his blood. Second thing that we need to understand about this verse all of us, not only all of us are one body, but there is, there is in, in the, theologically, biblically, there are two 
types of bodies of Christ. There is what we call the invisible church. And the, the invisible church is comprised of all the people whom God has ever saved. In the past, right, from, from Abraham and on to all the people he's going to save in the future, all of us are comprised, all the God's elect are the invisible body of Christ. We just can't see them physically right now. That's why they're invisible. But all the body of God, all the, like, all the people that are saved comprise of, his, of, God, of Jesus Christ's invisible body, and that's true. And they are parts in Paul's, in the Bible, especially in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about the, 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 the aggregate people of God. But in verse chapter 12, verse 12, not only 12, chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, Paul is specifically mentioning the local body of Christ that these Corinthians are part of. The local body is is the visible body of Christ. It is the people that you see every day. These are the visible body of Christ. So when you are in Christ, you, are, you become part of his invisible body, his people throughout all history. But you also become part of the local body, the visible church. If you are a Christian, you are part of a visible body of Christ. God has called you to be part of the visible body of Christ. That's where church membership comes from. The importance of church membership is, church membership is saying, I, I think God has called me to this church, to, so for this church to be the visible body in my life. And God has called me for the, until he moves me elsewhere to serve him, to be part of this body, to, to serve this body, to love the people of this body, to grow with the people of this body. this notion that I'm going to church just to listen to the sermon and peace out, that is living contrary to the will of God. I'm so thankful that our church, we have so many members, like I think 50 of us do some form of volunteering and that's wonderful. And our membership, I think it's like, what, almost 40 or something? And And that's great. But if you're not a member of our church, then I ask you to find a church that you can, be, you can be a member of. Because staying for the sermon and not getting involved in the body is not living according to God's will if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, please come every week, listen to these sermons, that's great. But if you are a self-proclaimed Christian and not a member of the body, you need to find a body to be a member of. Because your faith happens within the context of the church. That's one verse. Okay, good. We have time. So Paul is, the way Paul is uniting the device of Corinthians is he's reminding of the truth. And the truth is, if you're a Christian, you are all one body of Christ. That needs to be in your mind when you deal with other people in the church to cure division. Paul goes into more detail in verse 13 of this truth about who they are in Christ. Verse 13, Paul says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is a very important verse. 
He says, Corinthians, you should not be divided because, first of all, you are all baptized by the Holy Spirit. The way you became a Christian, Corinthians, was you were baptized into the Holy Spirit. That's how you became Christian. What did it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? The word baptism means immersion. right? Immersion, like think of a pool of water. I went on a vacation the, last week. I went to the ocean. I went to the pool, and I immersed myself in the pool. It was a great pool, by the way. I'll recommend that hotel to you. It's really great. Baptism, baptismal means immersion. It means to be submerged into a body of water. So salvation, Paul is describing, is if you're saved, you are immersed in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Think of it in two ways. Think about it this way. Think about there's two types of pools in the world. Think about there's two types of pools in the world. One type of pool is a pool of the Holy Spirit. The second type of pool is a pool of judgment, pool of fire. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says, Jesus will come baptizing you in the Holy Spirit and of fire. Which means there are two types of pools in the world. The pool of the Holy Spirit and the pool of fire, which is God's judgment. Only two types of pools. Right? All of us, because of our rebellious nature against God, we're destined for the pool of fire and pool of judgment. We were, we were, we were destined to be part of that, to be submerged into the pool of fire and judgment. But the grace of God is He takes people who are destined for that pool and He dunks them in into the pool of the Holy Spirit, where you are immersed in the Holy Spirit. Visualize the Holy Spirit pushing you into His pool and you are in, immersed in His water, in, in, in His presence. Are you with me, June? That's how he describes salvation. You are immersed in the pool of the Holy Spirit. When you are immersed in the pool of the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Holy Spirit, you are united with Christ. What he had in the Holy Spirit, when you're immersed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ forgives you of your sins. In the pool of the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. In the pool of the Holy Spirit, you are resurrected. In the pool of the Holy Spirit, God gives you His presence. When you're immersed in that pool, your sins are forgiven. You are resurrected. You have new life. That's how Paul describes genuine saving faith. He's not talking about being culturally Christian or culturally Jew. He doesn't describe salvation in that way. He describes salvation as being immersed in the Holy Spirit. Have you been immersed in the Holy Spirit? The one guy that I was obsessed about last week was JYP. You know JYP? Anyone know JYP? No? Man, you guys are all like studious or something? JYP is the most... Famous music producer in Korea, right? He is, right? He's like the, his, his entertainment company is the most successful. He's the number one music guru in Korea. He, had, he became Christian three years ago, right? And I was listening to his testimony, reading his testimony and listening to his speaking. He says, like, he's the most successful rich guy in Korea. But he says he realized there was, like, there was something not right in his life. There was no balance in his life. 
He looked at, he looked at his life and he says, my successes, maybe I contribute maybe 5% to my successes. 95% of my successes is just luck or some kind of force, he says. He says, looking back on his life, there is no way that I can take credit for everything that had happened. There must be something else than me. And so what he did was, for five years, he studied the, so, so he, he determined, he said, so I need to reckon, I need to understand this the concept of God. So what he did was, he initially started to read the Quran, right, the Buddhist literature, and the Bible. But he quickly realized that the only book that addresses man's purpose, man's destination, right, where man came from, man, where, what man is for, where man is going, the only book that addressed that was the Bible. So he said, forget Buddhism, forget Quran. Let's look at the Bible. So he was studying the Bible for, I think, three, like five years. He went to Jerusalem, right? To, like, gave up his phone. He went to Jerusalem for like two months reading the Bible. Because he knew, and the more he read, the more intellectually he understood it. He said, yeah, this is true. And yet he says, even though intellectually he understood it, he couldn't believe in it. No, he knew it was true, but he still didn't have conviction of faith. Until three years ago, he was reading Hebrews. And it all made sense. And he realized he was in Christ three years ago. Before then, he was, te- he was so convinced that the Bible was true before his conversion, he was teaching other people of the Bible, and other people got converted through his teaching. Even though he, wasn't, he, didn't, be- he didn't think he believed, his persu- he was so persuasive in his teaching, other people believed it. But as he was reading Hebrews three years ago, he started to believe it. He said, it's true. This is me. I'm in Christ. And from that moment on, he is immersed in the Holy Spirit. All he sees is Christ. He looks, the way he frames his life now, he frames it through Christ. He said when he was younger, when he first came out, like he was very progressive in terms of you know sexual freedom and all these things. He was very progressive. And he says, looking back of the way that I once thought, I wish I could gather all my old thoughts, put it in a trash bag, and throw it away. Because my thoughts back then were garbage. Oh. Now he starts to see the, the atmosphere that he breathes is Christ. The way he frames things is Christ. That's the immersion of the Holy Spirit. That's saving faith. Question is, is that your faith? Is he the way you frame things? Is he the atmosphere that you breathe? Or is your faith cultural? The church is made up of people 
who are immersed in the Holy Spirit. He emerges you and you and you and me. And when we are immersed in his in that in his holy in the Holy Spirit, we become one body in Christ. How do you become uni unified in the church? You need to understand how you were saved. The reason why the Corinthians were divided even though they were crazy gifted. It's because they forgot that that is how they were saved. And when they no longer realize the truth of their salvation, their gifts are used as a weapon to divide rather than unite. Do you have an ill will towards a brother or sister in the body? Do you have an ill will against your spouse or your family members? The nucleus cause of it is not that the other person is a jerk, which may or may not be true. The nucleus of it is you have forgotten how you are saved, or perhaps you are never saved. If you truly claim to say that you... Clearly, if you say that Christ has saved you, Christ has forgiven your sins, how can you not forgive the sins of others? That's Jesus' point, right? If you say that you're forgiven through the blood of Christ, how can you not forgive your brothers and sisters? That's the point of unity. Oh, man, I used all my time. I have so much more to talk about. That's why we got, I got to continue. But a little bit taste of what I'm going to talk about next time. Unity does not only come from you understanding how you are saved. Unity also comes as you constantly drink from the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 13, all were made to drink of one spirit. What does that mean? It means not only are you saved through the immersion of the Holy Spirit, but after that, you need to constantly drink from the Holy Spirit. You need to constantly be filled by the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 5. You need to be constantly be influenced by the Holy Spirit. You need to constantly be taught by the Holy Spirit. You need to be rebuked by the Holy Spirit. You need to be plugged into the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life. Christian life cannot be lived apart from, apart from you being plugged into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which I'm going to talk about next week, the Holy Spirit makes you fight, overcome your sins. Right? The Holy Spirit quenches your thirst. A lot of your conflicts because of this thirst that you have. The Holy Spirit quenches your thirst. The Holy Spirit generates His fruit in your life. What are His fruits? Love, joy, Peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits are interpersonal fruits, are they not? The power to love others, the power to be patient with other people, the power to be good and kind to others, it does not come from within you. The world says it comes from within you. It does not. It comes from, from the Holy Spirit. These are His fruits. If you want to love people, you've got to be plugged into the Spirit. You want to experience the love of God? You need to be plugged into the Holy Spirit. 
the sermon of my life, the best sermon I ever preached. I remember, I've preached a lot of sermons, like I think seven years ago. I was preaching on the first Peter chapter one. I preached the gospel and I was bawling. The people in my congregation were bawling. Not everyone, but a lot of them. Because we're bawling, because we, we knew that the love of God in the, in the gospel was true, and we were just so moved by it. We were bawling. It was a flood of tears. Best sermon I ever preached. After that sermon, one of the people who weren't crying says, I wish I felt what you felt. She, can't, she, she, was, she was raised in the church all her life, and she told me, I wish I could feel what you feel. I wish I could cry in the, in the, in, in, when I listen to the love of Christ. I told her the same thing I'm going to tell you. To understand that love, you need to be plugged into the Holy Spirit. So many Christians sing about the love of God, listen about the love of God, but they don't know the love of God. That makes me so sad. The Christian life is so difficult for them because they don't know the love of God they claim to know. Why? Because they are not plugged into the Holy Spirit. You need to drink from the Holy Spirit every day. You need to make a conscious effort to plug into the Holy Spirit every day or as much as you can. Make a concerted effort. Look, I had a friend, and I said, hey, do you read the Bible? He said, yeah. I said, how do you read the Bible? He says, oh, right before I go to sleep, I, I turn on my phone, listen to half a passage, I think about it, and I go to sleep. How is that being plugged into the Holy Spirit? Dedicate 30 minutes to an hour open up the Bible and actually try to study and understand what it tries to say. He speaks through his word. Make an effort to understand his word. Look, there are tools, so many tools that can help you. There's so many study Bibles. There are, there's an app that can help you. There's so many apps that can help you. But make an effort to understand what he says. I think all of us are under the impression that we know exactly what the Bible says. No, you don't. Trust me, I'm not disparaging you, but you don't. I've been doing this for 30, 25 years. I have a degree in, in seminary, and I still don't understand everything the Bible has to say. How could you, unless you're a genius, and I don't think all of you are geniuses, don't assume that you know. What do you know? Study the Word of God. Pray based on the Word of God. When I pray in the mornings, I read like three chapters. I, when I pray, I don't start with what I think. When I, when I pray, I don't start with my thoughts. I pray based on what I studied and what I read. And the more you start thinking after his thoughts, the more he will reveal to you. Regardless of what all that is, you need to be plugged into the Holy Spirit. That's the way that you, we fight division in the church. You don't fight division in the church by hoping that the other person will change. They will not. It changes when you get plugged into the Holy Spirit. Drink from Him. Don't live this life thirsty 
and ineffective. Christian life is not just you made a decision for the Lord once and that is it. No, that is, that's just the beginning. It is a life of constant drinking. For the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your children, for the sake of our church, plug into the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Let's uh, take a moment to pray for ourselves. The question, once again, we ask is, are you plugged into the Holy Spirit? Are you drinking from Him? If you're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life on a regular basis, and I'm saying on a regular basis, if He is not encouraging you, if He's not revealing God's love to you, if He's not rebuking you, if He's not leading you, then there are two possible explanations. Explanation number one, that you're not plugged into the Spirit, or explanation number two, that you were never baptized in the Holy Spirit and you were never saved. The Christian life, yes, there are dry times, but it's not perpetually dead. If your spiritual life, relationship with God, is perpetually dead, then perhaps you were never baptized into the Holy Spirit. If you are not saved, the only thing to do is call on the name of the Lord to save you. If you and if, you, if those of you who are not plugged into the Holy Spirit, ask that the Spirit will, will make His voice clear so that you will drink from Him every day. Let us pray for these things and we'll continue. Lord, your baptism is true. Whether it is a testimony of JYP, or countless other testimonies in the world, you truly immerse people into the Holy Spirit and that they're saved. We, are not, we do not practice a dead religion. We do not practice a religion where we just l- listen to ancient literature and try to live our life according to it. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a dynamic, life-giving power of God and the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Forgive us for treating this faith in such insignificant, dead ways. Father, the great love that you have for us is that you save dead people and make them alive again. If there are some of us who are dead, if there are some of us who have not been baptized into the Holy Spirit, You know who they are. I pray that you will save them. You will immerse them into the grace of God. And you will make their lives start. May they breathe in your atmosphere. Father, may they know Christ. For for many of us, Lord, maybe it is we give excuses of not being plugged into you. We say we're so tired. We say we're so busy. We say this and that. Lord, those are just excuses of death. May we not excuse deathly behavior anymore. But may we strive, Lord. Oh, to strive to, be, to, to drink from you. And Lord, and you, and you have promised and you do this, that you bless people, whom, those who seek you, May you bless these people who seek you with your presence. 
Lord, encourage them, reveal your love to them, make them overcome their sins. Father, make them bold for evangelism. May their lives be fruitful as they plug into you. If there is division in our church, if there are one members who don't like other members, we pray whatever the issue is, you make them repent. You make us repent. Remind us, Lord, of the gospel. Remind us of how we were saved and why we were saved. And may that reminder, Lord, compel us to love and forgive and to build relationships. We pray that you continually infuse your life into our church. Whether we meet live or whether we're at our homes, continually infuse your living water in our lives. So that whether we are cooped up at home or whether we go to the office, no matter where we are, we will bear fruit for the name of Christ. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.